Section 4 of The Fair Maid of Perth or St. Valentine's Day. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Fair Maid of Perth or St. Valentine's Day by Sir Walter Scott. Chapter 2 Part 2 Dorothy was presently heard screaming upstairs, or more probably up a ladder to the cockloft, to which the recusant apprentice had made an untimely retreat. A muttered answer was returned, and soon after Conachar appeared in the eating apartment. There was a gloom of deep sullenness on his haughty, though handsome features, and as he proceeded to spread the board and arrange the trenchers with salt, spices, and other condiments, to discharge, in short, the duties of a modern domestic, which the custom of the time imposed upon all apprentices, he was obviously disgusted and indignant with the mean office imposed upon him. The fair maid of Perth looked with some anxiety at him, as if apprehensive that his evident sullenness might increase her father's displeasure. But it was not till her eyes had sought out his for a second time that Conachar descended to veil his dissatisfaction and throw a greater appearance of willingness and submission into the services which he was performing. And here we must acquaint our reader that, though the private interchange of looks betwixt Catherine Glover and the young mountaineer indicated some interest on the part of the former in the conduct of the latter, it would have puzzled the strictest observer to discover whether that feeling exceeded in degree what might have been felt by a young person towards a friend and inmate of the same age with whom she had lived on habits of intimacy. "'Thou hast had a long journey, son Henry,' said Glover, who had always used that affectionate style of speech, though no ways akin to the young artisan. "'Aye, and hast seen many a river besides Tay, and many a fair bigging besides St. Johnston. But none that I like half so well, and none that are half so much worth my liking,' answered the smith. I promise you, father, that when I crossed the wicks of Bagley and saw the bonny city lie stretched fairly before me like a fairy queen in romance, whom the night finds asleep among a wilderness of flowers, I felt even as a bird when it folds its wearied wings to stoop down on its own nest. Aha, so thou canst play the maker, old Scottish for poet, yet said the glover what shall we have our ballets and our rondelles again our lusty carols for christmas and our mirthful springs to trip it round the maypole such toys there may be forthcoming father said henry smith though the blast of the bellows and the clatter of the anvil make but coarse company to lays of minstrelsy but i can afford them no better since i must mend my fortune though i mar my verses "'Write again, my own son, just,' answered the Glover, "'and I trust thou hast made a saving voyage of it.' "'Nay, I made a thriving one, father. "'I sold the steel habergeon that you wot of "'for four hundred marks to the English warden "'of the East Marshes, Sir Magnus Redman. "'He scarce scrupled a penny after I gave him leave "'to try a sword dint upon it. 
the beggarly highland thief who bespoke it boggled at half the sum though it had cost me a year's labour what dost thou start at conachar said simon addressing himself by way of parenthesis to the mountain disciple wilt thou never learn to mind thy own business without listening to what is passing round thee what is it to thee that an englishman thinks that cheap which a scottishman may hold dear conachar turned round to speak but after a moment's consideration looked down and endeavoured to recover his composure which had been deranged by the contemptuous manner in which the smith had spoken of his highland customer henry went on without paying any attention to him i sold at high prices some swords and wingers when i was at edinburgh they expect war there and if it please god to send it my merchandise will be worth its price st dunstan make us thankful for he was of our craft in short this fellow laying his hand on his purse who thou knowest father was somewhat lank and low in condition when i set out four months since is now as round and full as a six weeks porker and that other leathern sheathed iron-hilted fellow who hangs beside him said the glover has he been idle all this while come jolly smith confess the truth how many brawls hast thou had since crossing the tay nay now you do me wrong father to ask me such a question glancing a look at catherine in such a presence answered the armourer i make swords indeed but i leave it to other people to use them no no seldom have i a naked sword in my fist save when i am turning them on the anvil or grindstone and they slandered me to your daughter catherine that led her to suspect the quietest burgess in perth of being a brawler i wish the best of them would dare say a word at the hill of canoole and never a man on the green but he and i ay ay said the glover laughing we should then have a fine sample of your patient sufferings out upon you henry that you will speak so like a knave to one who knows thee so well you look at kate too as if she did not know that a man in this country must make his hand keep his head unless he will sleep in slender security come come beshrew me if thou hast not spoiled as many suits of armour as thou hast made why he would be a bad armourer father simon that could not with his own blow make proof of his own workmanship if i did not sometimes cleave a helmet or strike a point through a harness i should not know what strength of fabric to give them and might jingle together such pasteboard work as yonder edinburgh smiths think not shame to put out of their hands aha now would i lay a gold crown thou hast had a quarrel with some edinburgh burn the wind upon that very ground burn the wind an old cant term for blacksmith appears in burns then burnywin came on like death at every chop etc a quarrel no father replied the perth armourer but a measuring of swords with such a one upon st leonard's crags for the honour of my bonny city i confess surely you do not think i would quarrel with a brother craftsman ah to a surety no but how did your brother craftsman come off why as one with a sheet of paper on his bosom might come off from the stroke of a lance or rather indeed he came not off at all for when i left him he was lying in the hermit's lodge daily expecting death for which father jervis said he was in heavenly preparation 
"'Well, any more measuring of weapons?' said the Glover. "'Why, truly, I fought an Englishman at Berwick besides, "'on the old question of the supremacy, as they call it. "'I'm sure you would not have me slack at that debate, "'and I had the luck to hurt him on the left knee. "'Well done for St. Andrew to it again. "'Whom next had you to deal with?' said Simon, "'laughing at the exploits of his Pacific friend.' "'I fought a Scotchman in the Torwood,' answered Henry Smith, "'upon a doubt which was the better swordsman, "'which, you are aware, could not be known or decided without a trial. "'The poor fellow lost two fingers. "'Pretty well for the most peaceful lad in Perth, "'who never touches a sword but in the way of his profession. "'Well, anything more to tell us?' "'Little, for the drubbing of a Highlandman is a thing not worth mentioning.' "'For what didst thou drub him, O man of peace?' inquired the Glover. "'For nothing that I can remember,' replied the smith, "'except his presenting himself on the south side of Stirling Bridge. "'Well, here is to thee, and thou art welcome to me after all these exploits. "'Conachar, be sturdy. Let the cans clink, lad, "'and thou shalt have a cup of the nut-brown for thyself, my boy.' Conachar poured out the good liquor for his master and for Catherine with due observance, but that done he set the flagon on the table and sat down. "'How now, sirrah, be these your manners? Fill to my guest the worshipful Master Henry Smith.' "'Master Smith may fill for himself, if he wishes for liquor,' answered the youthful Celt. "'The son of my father has demeaned himself enough already for one evening.' "'That's well crowed for a cockerel,' said Henry, "'but thou art so far right, my lad, "'that the man deserves to die of thirst "'who will not drink without a cup-bearer.' "'But his entertainer took not the contumacy "'of the young apprentice with so much patience. "'Now by my honest word and by the best glove I ever made,' said Simon, "'thou shalt help him with liquor from that cup and flagon "'if thee and I are to abide under one roof.' Conachar arose sullenly upon hearing this threat, and approaching the smith, who had just taken the tankard in his hand, and was raising it to his head, he contrived to stumble against him, and jostle him so awkwardly, that the foaming ale gushed over his face, person, and dress, good-natured as the smith, in spite of his warlike propensities, really was in the utmost degree, his patience failed under such a provocation. He seized the young man's throat, being the part which came readiest to his grasp, as Conachar arose from the pretended stumble, and pressing it severely as he cast the lad from him, exclaimed, "'Had this been in another place, young gallows-bird, "'I had stowed the logs out of thy head, "'as I have done to some of thy clan before thee.' "'Conachar recovered his feet with the activity of a tiger "'and exclaimed, "'Never shall you live to make that boast again,' "'drew a short, sharp knife from his bosom, "'and, springing on Henry Smith, "'attempted to plunge it into his body over the collarbone, "'which must have been a mortal wound.' but the object of this violence was so ready to defend himself by striking up the assailant's hand that the blow only glanced on the bone and scarce drew blood to wrench the dagger from the boy's hand and to secure him with a grasp like that of his own iron vice was for the powerful smith the work of a single moment conachar felt himself at once in the absolute power of the formidable antagonist whom he had provoked he became deadly pale, as he had been the moment before glowing red, 
and stood mute with shame and fear until relieving him from his powerful hold the smith quietly said it is well for thee that thou canst not make me angry thou art but a boy and i a grown man ought not to have provoked thee but let this be a warning conachar stood an instant as if about to reply and then left the room ere simon had collected himself enough to speak dorothy was running hither and thither for salves and healing herbs catherine had swooned at the sight of the trickling blood let me depart father simon said henry smith mournfully i might have guessed i should have my old luck and spread strife and bloodshed where i would wish most to bring peace and happiness care not for me look to poor catherine the fright of such an affray hath killed her and all through my fault thy fault my son it was the fault of yon highland cateran whom it is my curse to be cumbered with but he shall go back to his glens to-morrow or taste the tollbooth of the burg an assault upon the life of his master's guest in his house it breaks all bonds between us but let me see to thy wound catherine repeated the armourer look to catherine dorothy will see to her said simon surprise and fear kill not skeins and dirks do and she is not more the daughter of my blood than thou my dear henry art the son of my affections let me see the wound the skein ockle is an ugly weapon in a highland hand i mind it no more than the scratch of a wildcat said the armourer and now that the colour is coming to catherine's cheek again you shall see me a sound man in a moment he turned to a corner in which hung a small mirror and hastily took from his purse some dry lint to apply to the slight wound he had received as he unloosed the leathern jacket from his neck and shoulders the manly and muscular form which they displayed was not more remarkable than the fairness of his skin where it had not as in hands and face been exposed to the effects of rough weather and of his laborious trade he hastily applied some lint to stop the bleeding and a little water having removed all other marks of the fray he buttoned his doublet anew and turned again to the table where catherine still pale and trembling was however recovered from her fainting fit would you but grant me your forgiveness for having offended you in the very first hour of my return the lad was foolish to provoke me and yet i was more foolish to be provoked by such as he your father blames me not catherine and cannot you forgive me i have no power to forgive answered catherine what i have no title to resent if my father chooses to have his house made the scene of night brawls i must witness them i cannot help myself perhaps it was wrong in me to faint and interrupt it may be the farther progress of a fair fray my apology is that i cannot bear the sight of blood and is this the manner said her father in which you receive my friend after his long absence my friend did i say nay my son he escapes being murdered by a fellow whom i will to-morrow clear this house of and you treat him as if he had done wrong in dashing from him the snake which was about to sting him it is not my part father returned the maid of perth to decide who has the right or wrong in the present brawl nor did i see what happened distinctly enough to say which was assailant or which defender but sure our friend master henry will not deny that he lives in a perfect atmosphere of strife blood and quarrels 
he hears of no swordsman but he envies his reputation and must needs put his valour to the proof he sees no brawl but he must strike into the midst of it has he friends he fights with them for love and honour has he enemies he fights with them for hatred and revenge and those men who are neither his friends nor foes he fights with them because they are on this or that side of a river his days are days of battle and doubtless he acts them over again in his dreams daughter said simon your tongue wags too freely quarrels and fights are men's business not women's and it is not maidenly to think or speak of them but if they are so rudely enacted in our presence said catherine it is a little hard to expect us to think or speak of anything else i will grant you my father that this valiant burgess of perth is one of the best-hearted men that draws breath within its walls that he would walk a hundred yards out of the way rather than step upon a worm that he would be as loth in wantonness to kill a spider as if he were a kinsman to king robert of happy memory that in the last quarrel before his departure he fought with four butchers to prevent their killing a poor mastiff that had misbehaved in the bull-ring and narrowly escaped the fate of the cur that he was protecting i will grant you also that the poor never pass the house of the wealthy armourer but they are relieved with food and alms but what avails all this when his sword makes as many starving orphans and mourning widows as his purse relieves nay but catherine hear me but a word before going on with a string of reproaches against my friend that sound something like sense while they are in truth inconsistent with all we hear and see around us what continued the glover do our king and our court our knights and ladies our abbots monks and priests themselves so earnestly crowd to see is it not to behold the display of chivalry to witness the gallant actions of brave knights in the tilt and tourney ground to look upon deeds of honour and glory achieved by arms and bloodshed what is it these proud knights do that differs from what our good henry gow works out in his sphere who ever heard of his abusing his skill and strength to do evil or forward oppression and who knows not how often it has been employed as that of a champion in the good cause of the burg and shouldest not thou of all women deem thyself honoured and glorious that so true a heart and so strong an arm has termed himself thy bachelor in what do the proudest dames take their loftiest pride save in the chivalry of their knight and has the boldest in scotland done more gallant deeds than my brave son henry though but of low degree is he not known to highland and lowland as the best armourer that ever made sword and the truest soldier that ever drew one my dearest father answered catherine your words contradict themselves if you will permit your child to say so let us thank god and the good saints that we are in a peaceful rank of life below the notice of those whose high birth and yet higher pride lead them to glory in their bloody works of cruelty which haughty and lordly men term deeds of chivalry your wisdom will allow that it would be absurd in us to prank ourselves in their dainty plumes and splendid garments why then should we imitate their full-blown vices why should we assume their hard-hearted pride and relentless cruelty to which murder is not only a sport but a subject of vainglorious triumph 
let those whose rank claims as its right such bloody homage take pride and pleasure in it we who have no share in the sacrifice may the better pity the sufferings of the victim let us thank our lowliness since it secures us from temptation but forgive me father if i have stepped over the limits of my duty in contradicting the views which you entertain with so many others on these subjects now thou hast even too much talk for me girl said her father somewhat angrily i am but a poor workman whose best knowledge is to distinguish the left-hand glove from the right but if thou wouldst have my forgiveness say something of comfort to my poor henry there he sits confounded and dismayed with all the preachment thou hast heaped together and he to whom a trumpet sound was like the invitation to a feast is struck down at the sound of a child's whistle the armourer indeed while he heard the lips that were dearest to him paint his character in such unfavourable colours had laid his head down on the table upon his folded arms in an attitude of the deepest dejection or almost despair i would to heaven my dearest father answered catherine that it were in my power to speak comfort to henry without betraying the sacred cause of the truths i have just told you and i may nay i must have such a commission she continued with something that the earnestness with which she spoke and the extreme beauty of her features caused for the moment to resemble inspiration the truth of heaven she said in a solemn tone was never committed to a tongue however feeble but it gave a right to that tongue to announce mercy while it declared judgment arise henry rise up noble-minded good and generous though widely mistaken man thy faults are those of this cruel and remorseless age thy virtues all thine own while she thus spoke she laid her hand upon the smith's arm and extricating it from under his head by a force which however gentle he could not resist she compelled him to raise towards her his manly face and the eyes into which her expostulations mingled with other feelings had summoned tears weep not she said or rather weep on but weep as those who have hope abjure the sins of pride and anger which most easily beset thee fling from thee the accursed weapons to the fatal and murderous use of which thou art so easily tempted you speak to me in vain catherine returned the armourer i may indeed turn monk and retire from the world but while i live in it i must practise my trade and while i form armour and weapons for others i cannot myself withstand the temptation of using them you would not reproach me as you do if you knew how inseparably the means by which i gain my bread are connected with that warlike spirit which you impute to me as a fault though it is the consequence of inevitable necessity while i strengthen the shield or corselet to withstand wounds must i not have constantly in remembrance the manner and strength with which they may be dealt and when i forge the sword and temper it for war is it practicable for me to avoid the recollection of its use then throw from you my dear henry said the enthusiastic girl clasping with both her slender hands the nervous strength and weight of one of the muscular armourers which they raised with difficulty permitted by its owner yet scarcely receiving assistance from his volition cast from you i say the art which is a snare to you abjure the fabrication of weapons which can only be useful to abridge human life already too short for repentance 
or to encourage with a feeling of safety those whom fear might otherwise prevent from risking themselves in peril the art of forming arms whether offensive or defensive is alike sinful in one to whose violent and ever vehement disposition the very working upon them proves a sin and a snare resign utterly the manufacturer of weapons of every description and deserve the forgiveness of heaven by renouncing all that can lead to the sin which most easily besets you and what murmured the armourer am i to do for my livelihood when i have given over the art of forging arms for which henry of perth is known from the tay to the thames your art itself said catherine has innocent and laudable resources if you renounce the forging of swords and bucklers there remains to you the task of forming the harmless spade and the honourable as well as useful ploughshare of those implements which contribute to the support of life or to its comforts thou canst frame locks and bars to defend the property of the weak against the stout reef and oppression of the strong men will still resort to thee and repay thy honest industry but here catherine was interrupted her father had heard her declaim against war and tournaments with a feeling that though her doctrine were new to him they might not nevertheless be entirely erroneous he felt indeed a wish that his proposed son-in-law should not commit himself voluntarily to the hazards which the daring character and great personal strength of henry the smith had hitherto led him to incur too readily and so far he would rather have desired that catherine's arguments should have produced some effect upon the mind of her lover whom he knew to be as ductile when influenced by his affections as he was fierce and intractable when assailed by hostile remonstrances or threats but her arguments interfered with his views when he heard her enlarge upon the necessity of his designed son-in-law resigning a trade which brought in more ready income than any at that time practised in scotland and more profit to henry of perth in particular than to any armourer in the nation he had some indistinct idea that it would not be amiss to convert if possible henry the smith from his too frequent use of arms even though he felt some pride in being connected with one who wielded with such superior excellence those weapons which in that warlike age it was the boast of all men to manage with spirit but when he heard his daughter recommend as the readiest road to this pacific state of mind that her lover should renounce the gainful trade in which he was held unrivalled and which from the constant private differences and public wars of the time was sure to afford him a large income he could withhold his wrath no longer the daughter had scarce recommended to her lover the fabrication of the implements of husbandry than feeling the certainty of being right of which in the earlier part of their debate he had been somewhat doubtful the father broke in with locks and bars ploughgrave and harrow-teeth and why not grates and fire-prongs and culrus girdles and an ass to carry the merchandise through the country and thou for another ass to lead it by the halter why catherine girl has sense altogether forsaken thee or dost thou think that in these hard and iron days men will give ready silver for anything save that which can defend their own life or enable them to take that of their enemy we want swords to protect ourselves every moment now thou silly wench 
and not ploughs to dress the ground for the grain we may never see rise as for the matter of our daily bread those who are strong seize it and live those who are weak yield it and die of hunger happy is the man who like my worthy son has means of obtaining his living otherwise than by the point of the sword which he makes preach peace to him as much as thou wilt i will never be he will say thee nay but as for bidding the first armourer in scotland forego the forging of swords curtail axes and harness it is enough to drive patience itself mad out from my sight and next morning i prithee remember that shouldst thou have the luck to see henry the smith which is more than thy usage of him has deserved you see a man who has not his match in scotland at the use of broadsword and battle-axe and who can work for five hundred marks a year without breaking a holy day the daughter on hearing her father speak thus peremptorily made a low obeisance and without further good-night withdrew to the chamber which was her usual sleeping apartment End of chapter two part two